A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. June 10th, 2020. Perfume with Apricot. Women's World Cup. The Netflix series, Unsolved Mysteries, exploring what happened to Ray Rivera. This is awesome today. Awesome today is a mostly daily show about stuff that might be awesome. Don't overcomplicate it. It's barely edited and sometimes offensive. Enjoy it and have an awesome today. Would you? All right. Hi. How are you today? I'm good. I'm feeling good. Good. How about yourself? I've got a little headache. Oh. I'm cranky. Oh, no. And other than that, that's pretty normal, actually. <laughs> it's pretty normal all around. So I'm doing good. Good. Pretty much baseline for you. Okay, it is Friday. It is July the 10th. It is Friday, and that means there is a brand new episode of our main show, mm-hmm. Sort of Awesome, out in the world. My co-host Kelly and I talking about things we wish we would have known sooner. So, Oh, boy. I hope you'll... Is that a whole podcast or just one episode? Oh, listen, this is part two of this topic. I was going to say, because... Everybody's got to have a long list of those, right? Yes, exactly. It took mm. me a while to narrow down my list. And again, this is my second time in right. this discussion. I feel like we're sitting further apart. I can't tell. You know I will get all snuggled up on you. I know you, you like will. it when I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's good and hot in here, Snuggles, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, save it for when I'm trying to go to sleep. That's when it's best. Yes. Um, another notable thing, yesterday in our universe of time, Awesome Today made it onto the Apple Podcasts Top 200 chart for society and culture. That's category. impressive. This is called taking advantage of the algorithm right now. Yeah. But, man, if you haven't reviewed yet and please done all that, please do. do. Yes. Please do. Please do. Because as of today, we already had fallen back off. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The chart is a very um, cantankerous thing, yeah. so please do, if you have a minute, go over there and just drop us a quick review uh, rating would be so, yeah. so, so appreciated. It, it doesn't even have to be nice. You could just be, it's better than death. You could leave something like that. It's just, it needs, there needs to be a review there. Just type in what that other person said. <laughs> or just a... Emoji it or something. Emojis I don't know. are fine. I think yeah. I think Apple Podcasts will accept emojis. So. I would hope. Yeah. They are, aren't they somehow claiming to be the creator of emojis? Or emoticons? What's the plural? Yeah. Yeah. Emoticon, I feel like, is in that universe. I don't okay. know if it's the exact same thing. Anyway, it would be very helpful if you yes, help please, us out. There. Please, please. Okay, it is July the 10th. I have a new scent of the day that I'm wearing today. First of all, smell test. See, now that smells like it has gardenia to me. Oh, no. Much more than yesterday's did. I get no gardenia. Let me smell that again. Okay. 
I don't know. Maybe it's something interacting with the ginger or something. I don't know. Well, let me tell the people what I'm wearing. I don't like it. You don't? I don't. I love you <gasps> enough that I would tell you I don't like it. Well, I was just about to say this is one of my favorite scents I've ever worn. Okay. So good. Uh, We're definitely on the same page here. Okay. How'd we ever get married? I don't know. And see, you liked what I was wearing yesterday, and I almost scrubbed it off. We clearly are on polar This explains this. so much really about does. our last 20-odd years. Yeah, it does. Okay, this scent is called Sun Warmed Honey, and it's from my very favorite independent perfume house, Solstice Scents. So here is the description for Sun Warmed Honey. Thick, sticky, golden honeycomb, soaked in apricot nectar, and strawberry juice. Sweet apple herbal scented chamomile flowers sprinkled loosely with subtle notes of warm ginger and bright orange blossom flowers. Um, so the description is it's remarkably sweet and gentle with ripe and juicy apricot nectar featured as a prominent note. Okay. I think I'm smelling a bad reaction with the strawberry. Okay. That makes sense. You ever eat, uh, Maybe I'm the only freak here. Mm. Um, have you ever, let's not just limit it to strawberries. Have you ever eaten something and then you're like, later you're doing the, and you're like, I, my breath smells like sulfur. Oh yes, definitely. That's, I think that happened to me once with strawberries and I just won't eat them anymore. Hardly. That is so interesting. And but now the smell of strawberries bothers me. And so you feel like I smell like bad breath. You're in, you're in the club with bad breath. You may not be bad breath. It's just one of your friends. Okay. It has a very subtle herbal nuance, similar to a sweet Annie flowers or chamomile tea. It's at once playful, elegant, and uplifting. For me, this is, this is straight up apricot. This is apricot fresh from the tree or bush. It would be a tree. Okay. I, it's like walking through an orchard and the summery scent just falls down on you. And you come in and you don't smell like a puppy that's been playing in the yard. You just smell like the orchard you've been in. And it's apricot. And that is what I am getting on this uh, from the scent. Now, the interesting thing is the reason I picked this one mm -hmm. is because I love honey. I got obsessed with honey scents. Last fall, I have a number in my collection of samples from different perfume houses that are honey. I have I get no honey from this, not in the not in the bottle, not when I first put it on. It's that top note. I got no honey, even though the name of this is sunwarmed honey. I think it should be called sunwarmed apricot. Okay. So it's funny because yesterday I said it was almost a scrubber for me. I almost scrubbed it off. This one is actually, whatever the opposite of that is, a doubler. Put more on? I put more on because I, that is one thing that <clears throat> Solstice Sense, it's a little hit and miss in terms of their longevity. Um, the one I was wearing yesterday from Arcana Wildcraft, it lasted fully the whole day. Um, this one by lunchtime, and I put it on this morning, it was starting to fade a little, so I went back for a double dip. Too bad that I did that since you don't like it. It's Okay. Okay, I still like you. My opinion's not different. I do want to draw back a quick moment, though, okay. and just marvel at the beauty of language and the different images that it conjures in each of us, because you mentioned the apricot falling on you. and it's the scent of it. And the basking in the wonderfulness of it, and immediately my mind went to a clumsy person up in the tree picking apricots that literally fell on you and crushed you into the ground. <laughs> Like, that's not pleasant. Don't don't do that. That was not part of my uh, beatific summertime mm -hmm. imagery that I was trying to get up and your hair's all erect. You got grass stains on your dress. <laughs> your mouth is bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, that's a strong apricot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, as I understand it, you didn't have any on this day because we have so much to cover. We have so much, and I had a. I did grocery shopping today. Oh, yes, you did. And I had a meeting with the spiritual director today, yeah. so my day has been running. Okay. I will say this quickly. On July 10th, 1999. Okay. Okay. Place yourself in that moment in time. Uh, Where were we, you? We lived in Ada. This was when we were both, we were newlyweds. We'd been married for a year. 
and we were uh, dorm directors. Yeah. At the freshman slash Greek life dorm on our campus. That was a treat. It was. And so, but you would have been, I don't know, July, you probably would have been having a little bit of downtime before two-a-day started. Mm, Yeah, this probably would have been our last week to two weeks, maybe, uh, before we went in and started working our tails off right before the kids reported. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so July 10th, 1999, the U.S. women's soccer team defeated China in a penalty shootout at the Rose Bowl near Los Angeles to win the final match at the 1999 FIFA FIFA, FIFA Women's World Cup. I'm good at sports ball. Uh, the final was watched by over 90,000 spectators, which set a new world record for attendance at a women's sporting event. Of course, Brandy Chastain scored the decisive penalty to defeat China 5-4. to four. About 40 million Americans watched the, the at least part of that match on television. I know, I remember this vividly, the iconic picture of Brandy Chastain after she scored that point, ripping off her jersey and swinging it around. And there's this picture of her, like she like kind of slid into the ground, um, wearing just her sports bra and her shorts. And it was just like that picture. Was, Pandemonium. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That picture is so iconic in sports history and absolute just joyousness that broke out at... Was that the first... Was that the first World Cup that women's soccer has ever won? I do not know. Women's football, whatever it is. <laughs> I don't know for sure, but I'm going to guess yes. Okay. It feels like it was, but don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm not uh, I'm not really good with facts like that. Okay. Some, and even yeah. some that it seems like I am, I'm not. I just speak with confidence, and there's a difference. <laughs> All right, so that was this day in history in 1999. So raise a glass for uh, for women in sports and or soccer. tear your shirt off and wave it around. <laughs> Strip down to your sports bra. Yeah. Today, my friends, Brandy Chastain will definitely approve of your of your choices there. I wonder. I wonder for her mm-hmm. if every July 10th she's like. Well, it's like a birthday or something. Yeah. If it's that impactful, if she remembers the exactness because everybody's different. Oh yeah. We participated in some pretty awesome things when I was coaching, but mm-hmm. I couldn't I couldn't you tell you the dates. Date, yeah. Right. Um I will say I've read while I was reading up on this on this day in history, I read an interview with Brandy from last year because it was like the twenty year mark. Yeah. That, that would, would be, be it. That, yeah. Or, 2019 would have been twenty years later, right? Uh, yeah, 1999 to 2009. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because okay. it's not. We are so good. Well, I'm. I always get mixed up on these because it depends on some things and how you count. If it's there's a zero year and not, <laughs> it has to do with my job and some things, some maths I have to do there. It wrecks it. So. Uh, well, I will just say that they interviewed her last year. She was 50 last year when they interviewed her, and she said that she does. She has a framed copy of that picture, of course. And she said when she looks at it now, the only thing she thinks is that she's got to get back into the gym. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's a way to snatch that defeat out of the jaws <laughs> of victory. Okay. So, you guys, we are going to cover Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix, the Netflix reboot There's a season out right now. I believe it has six episodes. We're covering episode one. So be prepared. Spoilers ahead. Oh, yes. All the spoilers. And then some. If you want to go watch it, go watch it and then listen. But if you haven't, if you haven't watched it yet, stop this. Go leave a review for the show and then go watch. (laughs) How about that? Does that work? That is the perfect game plan. Um, and I know some of you who are listening are like, I'm not ever, I'm just not interested. I'm not going to watch it, but stay tuned because we're going to give yeah, you kind of fine. a recap yeah. of what happens. You'll, you'll have the tidbits you need to throw out in a social gathering of responsibly yes. distanced humans through a face mask to That's right. just be like, bam, there's my add on. Well, here's the thing. And that very well could happen because mm-hmm. as of right now, this is trendy. This is trendy. It's the number one show on Netflix right now is this Unsolved Mysteries reboot. I do think Netflix is brilliant in understanding the power and pull of nostalgia 
for people. Not only do they have this Unsolved Mysteries reboot, they also have the Babysitter's Club. They do this brand new series. Women of a certain age, like mine, are going to be drawn to that and want to introduce their kids to that series that was so iconic for them. But Unsolved Mysteries was such a moment in popular culture in the 80s and 90s. one of the first big true crime shows right. hosted by Robert Stack, who had a very creepy slash comforting vibe happening. Right. As he told the stories. In like, a- I'm not going to hurt you, but I'm not going to stop anybody else from hurting you. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually the perfect way to describe his demeanor on that show. But I don't think you were actually even really allowed to watch Unsolved Mysteries, were you? No, we still weren't really TV-free in the home yet. But I I can recall seeing an episode or two over the years. Okay. Because well, it ran for quite a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it did. I should have done some a little bit of extra Googling to, to figure out the original um, series run. But... Um, the big appeal of Unsolved Mysteries was this idea that, hey, watch the show. Maybe we can solve this mm-hmm. mystery together. There's always a question mark on these stories. Well, and I feel like, so I had listened to the the podcast, is it called Running From Cops? Running From Cops, yeah. I had listened to that podcast mm-hmm. like in its entirety a month or so back maybe. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I could be wrong here, but I really feel like they referenced this because Mm. it was a pivotal piece to whoever the creators were of cops and mentioning, I think that they said literally the first episode of Unsolved Mysteries led to an arrest. Oh, really? I could be be way off. I could be way off. Okay. Maybe, you know what? I'm saying that now. They may have been referencing, was there another show called America's Most Wanted? Yes. That may be instead what it was. Yeah. So don't throw that out at a party. <laughs> don't use that one. Yeah. Or if you do and people look at you funny, hopefully you got your mask on. You'd be like, what? I didn't say it. It was that masked person. <laughs> Always have an escape route. Yep. But these were all, so they all sort of travel in the same circle, right? America's yeah, Most yeah, Wanted, yeah. Unsolved it's, Mysteries. It's a thematic, mm-hmm. it's a recipe. Yes, it absolutely is. So the stories that they serve us in this Netflix version of it all do have some kind of like question mark about what mm-hmm. really happened. So the first episode is called Mystery on the Rooftop. And in it, we learn about the mysterious death of a man named Ray Rivera. He was 32 years old when he died. His body was found in a Baltimore hotel room. So Ray and Allison, his wife. But not not like a hotel room hotel room. Right. It was found in a room. In, in a, a room. That's a better, in a room of a hotel. But it wasn't a guest room, I don't no. think. No, no, no. It was like an abandoned well, not really abandoned. It just was a part of the hotel that wasn't being right. There was there was the main building of the hotel, and then there's a which is a, a high rise hotel. Yeah, it's called the Belvedere. I'm hotel. making high rise motions with my hands. <laughs> yes, here. it's good on audio. Um, um, the Belvedere Hotel, which is yeah. a historic like right. landmark hotel in in Baltimore. And next to it, and in between the hotel and a parking structure, in between there was a. I don't think it. I think it was just a one story little building and and they weren't using it for anything any longer. I can't remember what they'd said if it'd been a, a club yeah, or like a, a club or a restaurant or yeah. something. And then they weren't using that area. Right, but it, it was just closed off, locked up and right. nobody nobody using it. So yes. it wasn't like, you know Yeah, like a hotel room. Right, right, right. That's so, a good clarification. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay, so Ray and his wife Allison were living in Baltimore. They were neither of them were originally from Baltimore. Um, they had gotten married about a year and a half ish, two years. Like they had been married for a very long time. That feels right. I can't say yeah. absolutely, but that feels right. They had been living in Southern California because Ray wanted to be a screenwriter and a filmmaker. He was obsessed with movies. Right. He was writing screenplays in um, Los Angeles, but just what they were not able to make ends meet. It, his career wasn't really right. taking off. Do you remember? I know he went to school and to college in Florida. He's from Puerto Rico. Right. He went to school in Florida. Do you remember what he majored in? Did they say that anywhere? They may have. I don't remember. This will come up later is why I'm asking. Okay. Um, so yeah, so his best friend from high school, a man named Porter Stansberry, offered him a job writing financial newsletters, um, for his company that 
it's complicated, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But basically, produce it. Produce it. That's good. That's how the English produced works. the thing go. <laughs> the produced financial newsletters, giving people kind of stock tips. We'll get into that. And since Ray was a writer of sorts, and he wanted to, he wrote prolifically um, uh, in his personal life. He anyway, Porter was like, "Hey, you need a job. Come out and work for me and help me write these newsletters." And they made it sound like Porter had been trying to hire him for quite some time. Yes, exactly. exactly. They they were college buddies, right? Um, I do think in the notes that I have is that he didn't really have a financial background. Accurate. Okay. Accurate. So it was, you know, it, it was writing, but it wasn't what he wanted to be writing, basically. Mm-hmm. But it was a job, and they got a cute little house in Baltimore, and they've been living there. For a while, on the morning of May 16, 2006, so just again, place yourself in history where we are, Ray is at home, and he gets a phone call and runs out of the house. Now, the reason we know this happened is because Allison, his wife, was actually out of town, traveling out of town for business, but a colleague of hers was staying there at their house, and she was in the room next to Ray's office and heard a phone call come in, heard him answer, heard him talk on the phone for a bit, and then absolutely ran down the stairs, raced out of the house, left um, personal belongings behind even in his hurry to get out of the door. Um, He was never seen or heard from again after fleeing from his house or running from his house, I guess we should say. Um, And then basically eight days later, his body, which was by then decomposing, uh, was found in a, now this is saying conference room, but in this room at mm-hmm. the Belvedere Hotel. Um, so some of the mysterious things about this. The police never found out who made the phone call to Ray on the morning that he disappeared, but it did come from the company Sansbury and Associates or Sansbury Associates? It's... It's named differently now. I think, but it was, I think it was Stanbury and Associates at that time. Yes. Okay. Someone in the office made a phone call. Now, after, can you all hear our puppy snoring? Loud dog snores in the background. That's not my tummy rumbling. Yes. Now, here's a big mysterious part of this. Again, he was working for his best friend Porter at his company. The call to Ray is what instigated him leaving his house in such a hurry. Um, but as soon as his, uh, whenever Ray's body was found, the Stansbury and Associates, every single employee there was put under a legal gag order by is, their company. This is a claim. That Stansbury denies this now. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I didn't even know that. I can't wait to get to it. So apparently, you know, he's this is his best friend. His body's just been found, but um, Porter Stansbury is like, nobody's talking to the police. Not a single person here. Porter himself never spoke to the family, never talked to Allison, never talked to his parents. Which is really weird. That's so weird. They right? were, they have, they have pictures, Ray and his wife and Porter, all yeah. three in the picture together. Yeah. Like at, not at a company function. Right. Like hanging out. And again, this was his best friend from high school. He'd gone to prom with college. Porter. Was it? I thought. I thought school. it was college. Anyway, he'd known the family for a long time. Porter mm-hmm. has, and he doesn't speak to the family. Nothing after Ray's body is found. Um, okay, so Ray, Ray's autopsy had a long list of traumatic injuries, multiple rib fractures, skull damage, punctured lungs, bone protrusion. The police, upon discovering this, which I guess I didn't tell the the big part about how Ray's body was found. Well, will you back, go back and cover that for you? Yeah. So you have this, again, you have this high rise hotel and then you have, it's, it's not just a flat, a flat walled area though. Think of like a, a, a U on its side. Yeah. And then in that opened area, there is that whole opened area with nothing there. Mm-hmm. This building he was found in is a distance from there. And when you try to do the mathematics of how his body could have come off the roof. Well, because, okay, even to go back further, the way people even knew where to look. Remember this? Well, I know they found the car. They found the car. In, in the area. Yes. What? And so they found a car, his car. They mm-hmm. found Ray's car and they 
parking lot. They went on the roof of Not, the main building. And it wasn't just they. It was three of his co-workers. Yes. Stanford and Associates. Yes. Who were, because everybody, I mean, Ray's family came in, Allison's family came in. People were canvassing mm -hmm. the area of town where his, um, where his car was found, which is at the Belvedere Hotel, but also near where Stansbury is. A few in. blocks away yeah. from, from, yeah. So yeah. three of his colleagues are out looking for what could have possibly happened, and they happen to go up onto this parking structure, like Kyle said, that was right next to this. That's right. They were on the parking structure. Yeah, and they looked down, and they saw a hole in the roof, mm -hmm. called the police. The police you know, have somebody from Belvedere Hotel right. take him into where that would have led. Open the door immediately, the stench, because it's been a week. Yes. So that was pretty key, that three of his co-workers from Stanford and Associates are the three people who happen to be like, oh, we should go up into this parking structure. Oh, my goodness, look down there. Is right. that a hole? Could that, what could have happened kind right. of thing? Now, the height of the parking structure is not enough. For, for right. a jump, a fall, a throw, a whatever to go through the roof. Right. Nor is the hole close enough to the parking structure because it's on the the side of the of the roof that's closest to the Belvedere. Right. So that's out. It had to have been from the height of the Belvedere. But then when you look at the at the geometry of everything there, he would have had to have run and jumped and cleared 45 feet of distance mm -hmm. or somehow be thrown that or something. It just didn't, it didn't work. The mathematics and the physics of yeah. where his body went through the roof as opposed to what was high enough around him for him to have jumped or again been pushed or whatever, nothing mm -hmm. added up. So that was a huge, huge question mark. Um, now also interesting. So his body is found in this like, again, conference room slash not used restaurant area. Mm -hmm. His cell phone and his sunglasses were found on that lower roof, not mm -hmm. inside with him, but on that lower roof without a single scratch right. on them. No damage. His wife in the in the show, his wife has the phone. Yes. It's still yeah, exactly. functional. Now, this is in the days before iPhones. iPhones are notoriously fragile. I mean, these, I do think that cell phone structure back in 2006, they were made a little bit differently, but again, yeah, but it, a fall right. from a high enough, um, being high enough up to... Even even dropping it from your hand, standing would have left a mar on the case. Yes, exactly. And it was, there, it was, the phone and the glasses were pristine. Yeah. Did you catch the deal about the flip-flop? The flip-flops, yes. With the scuff mark. Yes, that's There's one right. with the fresh scuff mark across the toe. Yeah. Exactly. Which is interesting and weird. Right. And his flip-flops were also found on the lower roof, not on him, not where his body was found. Right. So the medical examiner in examining his body was like, well, first of all, police were like, well, obviously he jumped to his death. He, right. Trying to rule it a suicide. Yeah. Died by suicide. The medical examiner was like, not so fast. His injuries, though significant, obviously do not match him jumping to his death via suicide. And so the medical examiner marked the case undetermined. And so that is where that leaves, and it leaves the family with all these question marks about what could have possibly happened. So we have some theories to share. Both of us have read through Reddit threads you can imagine yep. that on the unresolved mysteries subreddit, people have are they are they reductives? Reddit detectives, reductives? <laughs> Is that a thing? That feels right. Yes, the detectives, detectives. How did you do that? I don't know. It felt weird when I said it. <laughs> the detectives of Reddit have thoughts, and I come through some to share with you some of the more popular ones. And then Kyle has some background info on the financial side of this that yeah, yeah. really may help put this case to bed, at least in our minds. Should we call um, Unsolved Mysteries and tell them we, we may. figured it out? Although, man, I got to think I'm not the only one that yes. recognizes money is usually the trail. Yeah. Okay, here's uh, the theory from Reddit user Redzen. You ready? Ray went to the top of the parking garage to meet someone. Again, after getting this phone call, they rammed him with their car and he fell to the roof below. Um, and then he says, okay, 
get, trying to tell you how you could recreate the scene. Um, but basically the idea being that the, the killer picked him up, tossed, no, that he fell to the, to the roof below and that that's what caused him to go through. Then whoever was driving the car that killed him picked up his glasses and, um, his phone and shoes and then threw them down onto that roof and then sped away. Right. Now this, this person points out and we skipped this part. They checked all the hotel surveillance and yes. he was nowhere on camera, nowhere on camera. Now, some of the cameras granted one, one of the cameras that could have been helpful was out. Like yeah. just wasn't working. Um, so there's that, but yeah, this person mentions that he's not going to show up on any of the security tape because he was never actually in the hotel. He was on this parking structure. So they're saying whoever called, whatever happened, they met him there. They literally just ran over him with a car that the force of the car pushed him over. And that was enough uh, force. This person is really into the math and the physics of it and has some ideas about like formulas you could use right. to figure out if this is mathematically possible. He feels like that this would explain the force right. and the impact and like what his injuries were, how his injuries better aligned with being hit by a car. Right. This, and I'm not, I'm not a physics guy. Yeah. They did the mathematics. And I say that because I, I, I have no interest in trying to figure out how to recreate the math. This yeah. person's claim is that had this happened, it would have created 7,744 uh, foot pounds of force, yeah. which would have certainly been enough to crater through the roof. Yes. Um, now for as brilliant as that is, I feel like he, he kind of overlooks the fact that he wouldn't, he wouldn't have landed at a straight yeah. down angle of impact. He would have right. glanced, bounced, skidded. Yeah, because the hole splattered. In the, I mean, yeah. gross, but true. The hole in the roof is not like it's like, because Ray was tall, like right. six, three, It's I think? small, like he yeah. would have had to have fallen perpendicular. Right, yeah. exactly. He was a tall man, and it's not like the hole was like horizontally big. Right, not like Looney Tunes. Yeah, exactly. Running through the wall kind of a gig. Exactly. Okay, so the second theory is that Ray was suffering from mental illness and that in his, and that he was, again, this is armchair psychiatry at its pivotal most on Reddit, mm -hmm. that perhaps he was bipolar and he was going through a manic phase. Others suggested he might've had some schizophrenia and was going through some strong paranoia. One of the things that I forgot to mention in the overview, if you've seen the episode, you know that when Allison was looking through Ray's belongings after his body was found. She found many, many, many notebooks filled with all kinds of writing he had done and also taped behind his computer monitor in his office was a note that he had printed out. It was not just a note. It was several pages of all kinds of stuff. There was... How do you even find that? I don't know. That don't seems know. a little squirrely to me. Yeah. But it was a folded up series of pages that um, and it was folded up really tiny, really small had a list of every, the names of like all of these people, like almost everybody he knew. Mm -hmm. Along um, with a lot of movie stars. Movie stars, movie titles, random phrases. That's going to come into play here in a minute. But several Redditors with experience with um, mental illness, either as medical professionals or having a love with one with mental illness. That's what they claim. Yeah. Or themselves. <laughs> it is the internet. It is the internet. Um, they noticed that he uh, had mentioned that Ray had talked about the game. Mm -hmm. The game was one of the lists of movie titles in this list. Great movie. Watch it if you haven't. It's a great movie, a Michael Douglas movie where I can't give the plot overview, but the, the guy is, is in this like sort of alternate reality game that's playing right. out in real life. His, his dad committed suicide by jumping off the roof. And then through this game and weirdness, he reached a point where he, tried to jump off the roof as well at the end of the movie. Yeah. And then, um, it's not real. It's like a fake out. He didn't really right. kill himself. Okay. So anyway, the fact that the game was on that list and there's a couple of lines that kind of are reminiscent of the plot of the game. Mm -hmm. People have really latched onto <clears throat> that saying that he could have been having some kind of psychotic break, some kind of manic episode. And he actually did jump to his death. Um, and that people around him maybe had just missed or downplayed the fact that his 
mental health was becoming increasingly erratic. There was a moment um, just days before this all happened, before his death, um, two different times within the span of like 24 or 48 hours, somebody tried to break into their house, or at least the alarm went off at their house. Right. Um, the first time the alarm company and the police said, well, it was probably just a squirrel or something setting it off. The second time it went off, they did find evidence supposedly of one of the windows of their house being tampered with. Yeah. And that when this happened, Ray had grabbed a baseball bat and had uh, described by his wife, Allison, a look of sheer terror and panic in his eyes when the alarm was going off. And so that's a theory that's out there. All right, now the third theory that I found is that he was going to write, that Ray was going to write a screenplay based on what he had uncovered at Stansbury and Associates. So from the note, one of the Reddit users, um, Sayrumpf, good username, went through and like paused the screen on Netflix and wrote down a bunch of stuff that was on the note that Allison found taped behind Ray's monitor. Porter himself is mentioned several, multiple times within Ray's note. Um, things like, before I continue with my instructions for the council and claim the prize, I'd like to allow Porter Stansberry to claim his prize. Um, other lines like that, uh, my primary residence, which includes a beautiful piece of property in Northern Argentina, well done Porter. So a couple of film school students weighed in and they were like, oh, I know exactly what that note is. It's not a suicide note. It's not a crazy person rambling. It's a, um, uh, like a film outline that this is a standard thing that film students do as they're plotting out a screenplay. They'll just start throwing, they'll put people's names down because maybe they'll think of a character name based off of people they really do know. They will put, throw in random li lines of dialogue. They'll have a list of other films that kind of inspire the action. Gotcha. And so some film students are like, it was, he was clearly working on a screenplay. And so the idea of being the connection to Sainsbury and Associates, which you're getting ready to get into, he, he saw or discovered something at his job that he was like, this would make for a great movie. Oh, also, when it, you might have, if you've seen the episode, you might remember one of the lines off of that note is, um, comes from Masonic, Freemason, Freemason, mm -hmm. Freemason like wording or something like mm -hmm. that. It comes from their ritual. And so that he maybe had a blend of ideas happening here that was, you know, inspired by what he saw at work. Maybe he was going to bring in some Freemason stuff into it. And he, he had some books on Freemasonry, yeah. and I believe it was the day that he disappeared. Yes. He had stopped by a An lodge, if that's Freemason what they are, lodge. to yes. inquire about joining. Right. Um, so they're, you know, and of course, thanks to Dan Brown and all authors of fairly recent history anytime somebody says freemasons now yes. like oh it was you know yeah absolutely yes so that is the last theory i think that one's pretty compelling especially when you have film students who said i yeah. knew instantly when i saw that that that's what he was right well and couple that with the fact that his wife talked about the fact that he didn't want to take this job right he wanted to write movies yes he didn't want to take the job and that they'd agreed we will go try this out for a fixed amount of time yeah and I think the grand scheme was get a little bankroll together and then make another swing at the yes, screenwriting. Exactly. Exactly. Now you were watching this with me. I was oh, like, man. please come watch this with me. As soon as you heard the name Porter Stansberry, you literally sat up and started Googling because that had really stood out to you. So why don't you yeah, take us into your research from there? I have things, things like this that will... They'll stick out to me, and I don't know why. I just know there's. I should know this. I should know this thing. Why is this familiar? And the name Porter Stansbury, Frank Porter Stansbury, is his full name. But the name Porter Stansbury is is like man, I know that name. And then they say Stansbury and Associate Associates Investment Research. And I'm thinking, well, I must know this from something. I've been in this industry for over a decade now, and I. You know, I've seen a few titles of companies and things. I mean, maybe that's it. And I start looking it up. And of course, yeah, I don't, I don't subscribe to what he puts out. Uh, he's his newsletter, any of that, because I think it's swill. Mm -hmm. But it's swill that has made him a multimillionaire. Yeah. Um, he is a very 
heavily followed writer on uh, on things to do with finance and investing. So the company now is Stan- Stanbury Research. Um, hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is all just, as this started to unfold, my mind spun for quite a while. Um, he identifies as a financial publisher and author. He's not He's not managing anybody's money. Right. You don't go into yeah. Stansbury, Stansbury's company and sit down for help with your portfolio. Right. He's, and I don't know what his schooling is, any of that, to say what are your credentials to be able to write intelligently about this very complex field. Mm-hmm. Um but he does, and he, so he's a fin, financial publisher and author and financial advisor, spelled A D V I S O R. And I'm I'm particularly triggered mm-hmm. when I see things like this because financial advisor is not a legal term. Right. Anybody, your plumber could come over and recommend that you buy some ConocoPhillips stock and he is a financial advisor or she is a financial advisor in that moment. Spelled with an O-R. With an O-R. If it, you are an investment advisor, spelled E-R, that is a legal term and it means something. Yes, you have to uh, take industry tests and tax codes and all kinds of official things to be called an investment advisor. Now, a lot of people that wear the title financial advisor are, in fact, by legal definition, registered representatives, which means they've sat for a different exam. They perform business a different way. So there's that. But yeah, your insurance agent arguably is your financial advisor. There's all kinds, your CPA. It's it's a loose term that people don't really know what it means and they assign it way too much weight. Yeah. And he's taken advantage of that, I'm sure. Um, so currently, he has direct and indirect connections to multiple websites, above 10, best I can tell. Wow. Um, they all kind of feed into each other. Some of the content's free, but then it looks like grand total... Excuse me, I keep belching like a complete ape. <laughs> Terrible. Um, I'm going to stop drinking bubbly water or something. Man, it's out of control. Um, so there are, you know, there's the teaser stuff on these sites, but then now there's over, t- from what I can tell again, that looks to be over 20 different products or subscriptions that can be purchased. He writes one or more books a year. Um, he has a podcast. Oh my gosh. So just kind of nestle those facts into your mind. Let's let's go back for a minute. So he hires Ray mm-hmm. to write for him. Now, is Ray qualified to write about stuff in the financial world? No. Can I make my voice go any higher? No, you went way up into that register. I mean, not that he isn't a good writer, but is he... Stansbury was not a tiny company then. It's sure not now. Is that what they're selling? Just, hey, person that can write, would you like a job? No, that's no slam on Ray. I'm Ray seemed like an intelligent guy. And certainly, you know, I didn't have schooling. I self-studied to learn my way into this profession and then have spent a while doing it. Um, But yeah, it just seemed really odd to me 
that here hire somebody with no real credentials to come write. Yeah. Um, so then as we start to really get down the rabbit hole in 2002, which is before Ray joined Stansbury, mm-hmm. Stansbury was working for a company called Agora. And at that time, Agora had about 15 websites and were and still are directly and indirectly related to many other companies. Okay. Now, likewise, Agora, they've published hundreds of books over the years. I think current day, there's like 300 in publication. Oh, my gosh. Um, Stansbury today is still affiliated with Agora, but now also has his own spider web of businesses and all of this. He is he is mimicking their business model. But he's still also sort of under the umbrella. Or is he just tell. like it's adjacent? All, it's all really great. It's okay. all really great. Maybe he's not under the umbrella, but he's like standing next to the umbrella. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna paint a picture for you. There is an old timey back in the days of snail mail and nothing digital. There's an old timey investment scam that people would run. It is illegal. It's mail fraud now because it's through the mail. Let's say you've got a mailing list with 100,000 addresses and you come up with a few different lists. Let's just keep it simple and say two different lists, handful of stocks on each one. You craft this letter talking about what an expert stock picker you are. Yeah. And you, you split your 100,000 into two groups of 50, and each group gets, each half gets one of those lists. Mm-hmm. You wait maybe, you know, a, a few weeks, probably not a full month, and you kind of see where things go. Yeah. And if one of the lists has tanked, then that 50,000 people's gone, and you're just not messing with them anymore. But if... If even if both of them have just kind of held and they haven't gone anywhere, yeah. you just follow up and say, it just hadn't happened yet, mm-hmm. but these are going to be big winners. This is going to happen. And as soon as one of those lists hits big, right. that's really your focus group, your focused group yeah. out of that. And you may repeat that process a few times. So at some point, some fraction of your initial mailing list has received two, three, four, you look like you have a crystal ball yes. and you're offering all the way along and threatening. This could be your last tip, but if you'd like to subscribe mm-hmm. for our hot stock tips, yep. then, you know, get you, get you an envelope and lick your stamp, <laughs> put it on there with some $10 bills and we'll get it to you. Yeah. So it'd be like $5, $10, get on this list. Mm-hmm. This used to be newsletter list mm-hmm. that would come to you in the mail with your hot stock tips. Yep. They're not transacting it for you no. to be safe and on the smart oh, side yeah. of things. They're not trading in those stocks themselves. Right. Yes. There's a lot of so things. It's not you insider do. trading. It's right. It's not manipulation. It's not right. front running. It's none of these things. Yeah. Um, so we go back to 2002 and Stanberry, he's uh Ultimately, in 2007, which is after Ray is gone, is Mm -hmm. when the conviction finally comes down. But in 2002, before Ray Ray has come there, uh, Stansbury has a kind of a similar deal occur. And it kind of looks like it remains somewhat of his business model today and that of Agora. He made a prediction claiming that he had super insider information. Mm-hmm. And he emailed it, so he saved on postage, right? And he saved his precious tongue from having to lick <laughs> all the stamps because he sent it to 800,000 people. Holy wow. And it wasn't just a random grab a phone book and find addresses, right? right. This was a cold list. And I promise you these lists are shared amongst oh, these yeah. conglomerates. Sure. Um, as well as some other things that we'll get to told the story of this company that was practically guaranteed to double in value very soon. And that for a thousand dollars, he would sell you the follow-up report, which identified the company and gave some more facts. Sounds pretty fishy, right? Mm -hmm. Of course. And who would fall for that? Well, not very many people, only 0.16% of people fell for that. So how effective was it? 
doesn't sound very effective. It doesn't sound very effective, except that that comes out to 1,300 people in a grand total of $1.3 million. Well, there you go. From one mail out. It's a hell of a business. Yeah, it is. I don't know what I'm doing with myself I mean, seriously, here. we're in the wrong business over here. So in the bigger picture, when you're part of a conglomerate of who knows how many different websites and media sources, you run the scam, mm -hmm. but you aren't running it at a level so small that it can be seen. Because another thing that comes up uh, in Stanbury, Stansbury's stuff is that he's touted as having predicted the collapse of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac in 2008. Right. Which, first of all, when he did it, duh. It was like no big guess, but that's, you know, yeah, that was, that's for me, somebody that was watching the markets. Sure. Um, and so he screamed loud about it. Yeah. Any show he could get on, any publication, any email, he's, he's making that claim. And now I promise you within this conglomerate and at the same time, there was someone else from one of the other groups that was screaming the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. So there's your mm -hmm. double mailer yeah. that goes out. And when it all played out, obviously one of them's going to be right, one of them's going to be wrong. Well, nobody remembers who was wrong because so many people were wrong. Right. But you can't forget who was right because they won't let you. Mm -hmm. They're going to wear it out just even today. Now we're 12 years after the fact and he's still swinging that around like a trophy. Like Look, I predicted the thing. Yep. Like a dead cat. Okay. So this is in 2002. Ray arrives and then is gone. This deal isn't settled until 2007, which is well after well, Ray is dead. And so what happened with the Super Insider Info was people paid $1,000, right. tried out his stock tip or whatever, and it, they got no money. And so... Well, they a, bought stock. Some of them lost a little. Some yeah. of them made a little. It didn't double quickly. By the time it came to trial and near conviction, which was years later, yeah. had somebody hung on the whole time, yeah, they would have made about 200%. But that's... Yeah. That's all beside the fact that ultimately what they got him on, because he wasn't trading the stock himself, mm -hmm. all that stuff. But what they got him on, um, which he's, he and, and Agora still claim is a violation of freedom of speech. Right. But it was making outlandish claims. It was right. that, no, he didn't have an insider that mm -hmm. on and on and on. And he took money yeah. for claiming that he did. Yeah. Um, so the magnitude of the business model. And it's hard to find a lot, or maybe it was just easier to find stuff on Agora than it was on Ray's company. I feel like Ray's been pretty, I'm sorry, Stansbury's, Stansbury's company. Yeah. I feel like Stansbury's been really proactive mm -hmm. in covering up the, the turds behind him. Yeah. It's a busy cat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but November, this is, this is amazing. And I'm going to have to shift screens here to get to this other part. Um, the November-December 2015 uh, issue of Mother Jones, which in general, my personal opinion, is not very high of this publication, <laughs> nor of the, the writers there. But one of the writers, he put together, I'm going to have to pull the screen over, my eyes aren't quite what they should be. Um, he puts together a piece, and he leads off saying, I hope you're sitting down. This is a fascinating story with implications for every American. It involves some of Washington's biggest names. It's about a company that's made a major breakthrough that's made a few lucky people rich. It starts with a secret buried in an ancient text. And also, oddly enough, Mike Huckabee. <laughs> so it's he does he does it's a well-written article. Yeah. And I, I enjoyed the read just even from an entertainment perspective. Uh, so he starts out, there's, there's an announcement of a world-changing advance, an international research organization called the Health Sciences Institute has found an incredible cure for cancer, and it's hidden in the book of Matthew in the Bible. Seems completely legit. And for $74, you too could discover the secret. Abs I mean, what? that's a small price to pay. This was, this was the pitch emailed to hundreds of thousands of Huckabee's followers. And it was in January. Uh, he's a presidential candidate at the time. Mm -hmm. So he's got a big list of people with money, right? Yeah. And people that support him. And mm -hmm. you know, just even if you've ever given $10 to a campaign, you know you're on that list for 
into perpetuity. Right. So, yeah. So Health Sciences Institute, keep in mind here, they didn't send the email. Right. Huckabee sent the email on their behalf. So it shows up in your inbox as being mm -hmm. one of those, again, the campaign emails that you get if you've ever donated, and it's like from Mike Huckabee. Right. He's like, guess what? Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, this divine remedy mm -hmm. is eating fewer carbs, which, in fact, was not mentioned in St. Matthew's book. Mm, pretty sure. I've, I've read Matthew a couple of times. You never saw the low-carb recommendation? Not really, unless you want to count maybe like the loaves and fishes stories. I don't know. Well, you had the loaves. There's carby loaves. <laughs> yes. And there were lots of them. Yeah. So, the Health Sciences Institute is a part of a company called New Market Health, which is just one asset of a Baltimore-based publishing empire named Agora Incorporated. And there's Agora again. Yeah, okay. Agora's subsidiaries and affiliates, and I'm gonna read this directly, they publish, and this was in 15, uh, 2015, they publish more than 40 newsletters, they sell more than 300 books on a range of topics, um, biblical health tips, natural healing supplements, insider investment advice, the list goes on. Um, they find new readers, um, just ever expanding, pulling in, especially leaning on heavyweight public figures, which this, uh, this writer claims to have included Huckabee, Ron Paul, and Newt Gingrich. Mm -hmm. And he details some of that out, and that's that's fine. I think what's what's most interesting is that they point out, uh, they being the author, points out that you know you can again you can randomly send your your shill, mm -hmm. uh, your your scam to all kinds of people, but it's far more valuable when you're sending it to the right person. Yeah, we could go advertise this podcast in nursing homes across the land and gain no new listeners, most likely. <laughs> most right? likely. You, you're searching for that target audience. Yeah. And so they Agora self-identifies, admits fully, that they are centered on the things that are the, the emotional triggers for conservative people. Mm -hmm. no, no bones about it. Yeah. This is their claim. Well, the article goes on to just beat the crap out of Agora and, and how dishonest and terrible they are. And then it struck a note, evidently. I, is there any part of that I missed that you think no, should be No, I think that covers okay. the, the highlights for sure. It struck a note so strong with the owner of the company, Bill Bonner, mm -hmm. that he bothered to write a letter in to Mother Jones, which they absolutely included in the article, uh, and I've got this is really small text, so I may even disappear off screen here. I've got to get up in here to see this, um, and I'll, I'll read snippets of this directly. Um, he's writing to the paper about about the writer, yeah, saying uh, you know his article on Agora was meant, I think, to show how easily conservatives are bamboozled. And what a scammy company I run for taking advantage of them. As the person who started the business 35 years ago, I take responsibility for what we have become. But it is not what your writer thinks. <laughs> of course. Of course. Get that spin machine going for sure. Yeah, he had all kinds of uh spicy takes on the Mother Jones. Yes, um, and, and bear with me because uh, there's some of these. So the writer referenced a, a 25 bedroom chateau in France, which now Bonner is like, hey, it's not my private house. Yeah, It's training center for mm -hmm. our writers. We have hundreds of them all over the world. We operate in 10 different countries and six different languages. We have to train people somewhere, oh, Yes, right? Everyone needs a training chateau. Everyone needs a training chateau. Where's my training chateau? Um, I need you to get right on that. It's more of a training chateau. <laughs> Different concept. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, more importantly, skipping ahead, you badly misinterpreted the SEC case against Porter Stansbury, which was an easy mistake to make. Even the courts were confused. 
Huh. A Maryland court agreed with us. But then, you know, of course, the SEC is who mm. came in and screwed it all up. Yeah. The poor, dumb guys. Yeah. Um, a few people understood what it was really about. One of the exceptions was the New York Times. He's name dropping every oh, chance yes. he gets. Of course. Which recognized that it was really a First Amendment case mm -hmm. and came in on our side. Mm hmm. Oh, gosh, we have some of the best financial analysts in the country, and Porter's one of them. And then again, here we're touting this prediction of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Um, it's just amazing. Uh, I want to find there's some really good scathing stuff in here, and I want to find this. Or I say it's scathing. You may not think so. Um, then there is a silly thing. Of, no, 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 that's a different deal, and I'm not going to go into that. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> But the big error Mr. Murphy makes is to fail to understand what Agora is. And he keeps putting Agora in quotes like okay, it's not even weird. a real thing. It's his own company. Why would he do that? I know. And he's theoretically a writer. Right. right? And he's he's schooled like somewhere it. prominent in France. He's oh, not dumb. Yeah. Um, again, it is no shame not to recognize it. It took me decades. Oh, my gosh. Agora is not a company in the ordinary sense. It's more of a collection of companies, some of which I have an equity interest in and some I don't. This is not just a technical point. We publish from the ground up, not the top down. We publish what our editors, analysts, and independent publishers think is true and important. On the financial side, we warned against the crash of dot-com sector in 2000 and again, the mortgage finance debacle of 2008, sure, sure, we sure. published blah, blah, blah. The fasting recommendation in our biblical cure sales letter turns out to be helpful too. Some doctors believe in it strongly. <laughs> That's good. But here's even better. And what do I know? In the absence of certainty, I'd prefer to put it in there and let readers make up their own minds. Oh my gosh. Which pretty much describes how we do business. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. To make a full confession, the thing that caught your reporter's eye, the biblical cure for cancer, caught my eye too. From the beginning, we taught our writers to be bold. Hmm. And goes on to softball through there. Um, but a cure for cancer in the Bible? Maybe this was a little too bold. Maybe even pandering to people who weren't thinking, after all. <laughs> what a douche, right? Really? I don't know. But we are extremely reticent to censor our analysts right. and writers. Instead, yeah. we encourage them to speak boldly and let readers decide for themselves. Wow. Wow. Right? Um, ego, it just goes on and on. He loves No, I love this. Stuff, obviously. Fortunately, our customers don't pay us to be right. And we're certainly not paid to be timid. Instead, we're expected only to be diligent and honest and to explore the unconventional and often disreputable and always edgy shades of the idea spectrum. Wow. And our customers have the last say. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, if you have a person in your life, or maybe you yourself, who leans conservative or apparently even libertarian, uh, then you may have found yourself or your loved one has found themselves on one of these mailing lists. I could, These are the kinds of right. emails I could see people in my family. People subscribe that, to this. I know what I'm saying is that... On they, purpose. Yes, but they may have found themselves, because maybe they supported Mike Huckabee Indeed. once, targeted... Indeed specifically, and then they find themselves, they're like, well, I want to hear more about this. I right. mean, it's just, it's not something out of like some wild imagination. Right, right. It's no, it's very, all around us. Yeah, exactly. People bought the Inquirer for years, right? Yeah. So it's here's like here's this. a perspective that I think is valid and interesting to include on behalf of Ray. Yes. I mean, this thing's huge. Yeah. They, this, you know, six, five, six years ago, they've mentioned that just the, just the group that is affiliated somehow loosely with Agora is responsible for over half a billion dollar in revenue. Wow. On an annual basis. Yeah. That's, that's a big deal. And people don't react well when you threaten their money. Mm hmm. And if this is an instance where, Ray was writing a, a movie and not necessarily with the intent even to be a tell-all and expose. Right. It may no. or may not have been. Yeah. 
obviously Bonner wasn't very excited about a no-name periodical mm. writing a singular article and went all the to all the effort of drafting yeah. that atrocity to send to them. So what might they do? Yeah. Who knows? And who knows if it went to them or who knows if Stansbury was big enough or getting big enough at the time or if Ray had stumbled across something pertaining to this lawsuit that ended so poorly for him. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I know. There is no doubt in my mind that there is a connection there somewhere, somehow, yeah. some way. I, I will always stand by the fact that money is is just almost always involved somehow, some way on the really heinous yeah. things. Yeah. So, whoo, we went so much further yeah. uh, just on episode one. That Netflix should have hired us. I mean, clearly. We'll be going to unsolved.com and writing in yeah. our uh, theory on Ray's death. Now, again, I said this yesterday. I want to say again, I do think the Netflix series does a great job of really centering the victims and their stories and their families mm-hmm. um, and really draws out, if you watch the episode, that Ray Rivera was a very you know, charming, affable, much beloved person. And it is the circumstances of his death and the fact that he died when he was 32 is very, yeah. very sad and heartbreaking. So I don't ever want people to think that we're just like, you know, right, rubbing no. our hands together over this entertainment over somebody's No, death. I'm, I'm entertained by the criminal side of right, things. Right, exactly. It's terrible that this exactly. is how we had to become aware of it, but that is usually how things work. And I think that, you know, like to look at a Reddit, a subreddit like Unresolved Mysteries, that's what drives the, the people who really get into researching these things is because they do, they want there to be justice for people mm-hmm. who have met deaths in these ways. And so anyway... Uh, there's just a lot, a lot going on there Indeed. for sure. So it was yeah, enjoyable. It was. I may even read the book. I don't know. There yeah, is a there's book a whole book. It. Somebody wrote, in fact, I think the author who wrote that book was staying at the Belvedere when it happened. Oh, wow. When Ray died, I Goodness. think, if I re- recall correctly. So might be worth checking out. May do it. Okay. Well, it's Friday. I hope you all have a great weekend. I hope you have an awesome today, would you? Please do. Bye-bye. Bye. After further research, it does appear that there is such a thing as an apricot tree, and such a thing as an apricot bush. I think I would prefer the bush. If you fell out of it, it wouldn't be quite as hurdy. Find Awesome Today and Sorta Awesome Media on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok and literally everywhere podcasts are found. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.